You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Vancouver police are investigating a hit and run this morning that's left a cyclist in his 70s with life-threatening injuries. The vehicle and driver later identified and it turns out it was a taxi. Julia Foy is live at 4th and Collingwood where it happened. And Julia, you spoke with someone who witnessed this. Yes, Sophie, I did. And he says he was here about 10 o'clock this morning, stopped at the intersection for a red light. Then he heard something and saw something he says he'll never forget. It was shocking. It was devastating. It's, uh, it was traumatic, to be honest with you. Taylor Coltard says he couldn't believe his eyes when he saw a cab strike a cyclist. The taxi was behind me and passed me on the right, but I could actually hear his electric engine accelerating around me, which is baffling considering it was a red light. Around 10 a.m., a cyclist was hit by a taxi cab as he traveled down Collingwood Street and was crossing West 4th Avenue. His body was thrown several meters. The man was probably six feet off the ground. He did a full rotation and landed and just lay there lifeless. His bike was another 20 feet away in front of the bus stop and it was, it was disgusting. The cyclist, who was a man in his 70s uh, from Vancouver, sustained uh, serious injuries, life-threatening injuries, and was taken to hospital. Several people in the area came over to help the injured man, but witnesses say the cab driver did not. Unfortunately, the driver of the vehicle did not remain at the scene. Uh, we were able to uh, ascertain that uh, a taxi was seen leaving the area um, at the time of the collision. We've since located a uh, taxi uh, as well as the driver of that taxi and we're dealing with those parties right now. Global News has confirmed the taxi involved belonged to Yellow Cabs and the driver is well known. He's been a driver with Yellow Cabs since 2012 and he actually has a very clean driving record with Yellow Cabs. A global cameraman saw a yellow cab being towed away from the office with a police escort behind. The taxi appears to have damage to the windshield and the front end on the passenger side. It's the lawful thing to do and it's the moral thing to do. Um, so we would expect anybody who's involved in a collision to stop remain at the scene of the accident. Taylor was the first on the scene and he can't stop thinking about the man he tried to help. I just hope he's okay. You know, I'm looking forward to finding out where he is and I'll probably go and see him tonight if I can. Now, Vancouver police are continuing their investigation, and even though there is a suspect in custody, they're asking anyone who may have been a witness here this morning or who may have dash cam to contact them. Back to you. All right, 4th and Collingwood, Julia Foy, thanks for that. It's been a little over a month since two Surrey men were last seen leaving the Lower Mainland. Tonight, RCMP confirmed the bodies of Ryan Proventure and Richard Skurr have been found. Their remains discovered last Saturday near Ashcroft, just north of Spence's Bridge. Catherine Urquhart recaps the timeline of their disappearance and what we're learning about the investigation. 38-year-old Ryan Provencher and 37-year-old Richard Skur disappeared in July. Now their bodies have been found near Ashcroft, their deaths deemed criminal. When our investigators got there, they determined that there is definitely criminality involved in their death. The Surrey residents were last seen in the 16400 block of 23A Avenue on July 17th. Provencher was driving a 2019 white Jeep Cherokee, Skur, his passenger. Days later, the Jeep was found near Logan Lake, and August 17th, 
Their bodies were discovered 60 kilometers north on Ranny Pit Road near Ashcroft. Just lots of action up in the air, lots of helicopters going around, uh, trucks and different vehicles parked up Ranny Pit Road. Police confirm the two are known to them and they believe the men were targeted. That'll be form part of the investigation as we move forward, what the motive may or may not have been. In recent weeks, investigators searched a rural property near Spences Bridge, the site of a business linked to Provenshare. In 2017, Luke Neville vanished near Spences Bridge, and in January, cowboy Ben Tyner disappeared near Merritt. Our investigators are in constant contact in all three of those investigations, and at this point there's nothing to indicate that any of these are related to uh, Richard and Ryan's death. Police aren't saying exactly how Provencher and Skur were killed. That has yet to be determined by the coroner. So far, there have been no arrests. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. A police appeal for information in a suspicious death case has led to the recovery of the victim's missing shoes and backpack. Sanish police say a number of community members have contacted investigators with valuable information. As a result, the shoes and backpack belonging to the victim, 30-year-old Andrew Michael Sador, have been found. Sador was found dead in the driveway of a Saanich home on Saturday. The investigation is ongoing. Anyone with information is asked to call police. Those who knew him say he was the kind of guy who would give you the shirt off his back. And today, an emotional public appeal from Paul Pressbackmo's family, leading for tips, or pleading for tips, to bring his killer to justice. Pressbackmo was stabbed to death early Friday morning. Grace Key has more on how he's being remembered and what police need to move the investigation forward. This tragedy has forever changed our lives and our family and friends for years to come. In an emotional plea, Angela Prestbackmo is asking for help in her brother's unsolved murder. The 45-year-old mechanic is being described as a great-hearted person who would help anyone in need. We will never be able to hear his infectious rolly belly laugh, his contagious smile. Paul Bresbachmo was taking out the garbage and having a cigarette when he was stabbed to death at about 3.20 Friday morning. His body was found at the parking lot of the Semiamu Mall in South Surrey. Investigators believe he may have known the suspects. They've collected a great deal of video surveillance, spoken with a number of witnesses, and all that, the totality of all that leads us to believe that Paulie uh, was the victim of an unprov unprovoked attack. Police dogs tracked a nearby house where one man was arrested. He's been released as investigators gather more evidence. In order to charge someone, you need evidence, and that's what we're doing. We're collecting the evidence, we're continuing to collect the evidence, and we're hoping to change that status. New details have also emerged involving an assault that occurred earlier that evening in the same area. Just before midnight, a man in his 60s was seen at the Coast Capital Savings. He suffered extensive injuries. Police are seeing if there's any link between the two cases. We implore those who have information to please come forward and report any information to the RCMP. We are hoping that another family will not have to stand here like we are today and go through what we're going through requesting the same of our community. Investigators say there are people out there with information who have chosen to remain silent. Paul's family is asking them to do the right thing. Grace Key, Global News. A man convicted in the violent murder of a Vancouver realtor has been granted unescorted temporary absence from prison. 
Back in June of 1980, Susanna Sito's body was found dumped beside the Cowichan River. She'd been raped, tortured and murdered. The killing remained unsolved for nearly two years until Kelly Toop was arrested for the rape and attempted murder of another woman in Williams Lake. And forensic evidence tied him to Sito's killing. He was convicted and sentenced to life behind bars. He's now 59 years old. Toop has been seeking parole since 2005. New details tonight in the high-profile extradition case involving Huawei executive Meng Wanzhou. Meng arrested at YVR last December at the request of the United States. Today, a B.C. Supreme Court judge released documents and a video in connection with the extradition hearing. Romina Dea is live in our newsroom right now with video of Meng's arrest at YVR. Romina? We knew this uh, evidence was coming. We just didn't realize we were going to get it so quickly, Chris. Meng Wanzhou was transiting through Vancouver to Mexico when she was arrested at YVR. Now, the video is just one exhibit released by the court today. Meng's legal team says her delayed arrest, search and seizure, and three-hour-long detention at YVR on December 1st of last year was an unlawful abuse of process. Now, the lawyers representing the billionaire executive of Chinese telecom giant Huawei say Meng was the target of serious charter violations by not only the FBI in the U.S., but also the RCMP and CBSA in Canada. Now, the U.S. is seeking Meng's extradition on fraud charges for allegedly violating U.S. trade sanctions against Iran. Now, Meng and Huawei from the beginning have both denied any wrongdoing. They say they're innocent. Meng's lawyers are attempting to get the case thrown out. Now, if you notice, there is no audio in the video clip that we just played. Uh, her lawyers want access to the audio from this detention. They are also requesting other materials through freedom of information requests. The materials released today will be used as evidence at a disclosure hearing scheduled to start on September 23rd. Chris. Much more coverage ahead. Thanks very much, Romina. Backlash from the taxi industry today over the newly announced rules for BC's ride-sharing industry. Cabbies are crying foul, insisting the playing field is anything but level. Richard Zussman has more on their key complaints. I'm an experienced driver and I train to be a good driver. Shakom Tirganajad has been driving a taxi on Vancouver's North Shore for almost 10 years. Sometimes we have a good customer, sometimes we have different customer, but we can handle it. <laughs> now jump into the cab and it's clear the longtime driver isn't sure he can handle the new rules that have been laid out for ride-sharing companies. His biggest concern? They don't have a border and we have a border. If they don't have a border, they can do everything they want. The Passenger Transportation Board unveiling those rules on Monday. Currently, taxi drivers can only pick up in their designated Vancouver municipality. Ride-sharing drivers will be able to pick up and drop off anywhere in all of Metro Vancouver, including all the way up to Squamish and Whistler. I believe in the Metro Vancouver, we need to have the same capacity as the TNCs to pick up anywhere and drop up anywhere. The list of grievances goes on. Ride-sharing companies won't be restricted by fleet size. Taxi companies must pay higher insurance rates. And ride-sharing companies can charge lower fares, which can also increase at peak times. The Vancouver Taxi Association is so angry about the rules, they have demanded a meeting with Premier John Horgan. The provincial government let us down. 
they promised fair equality and that's all we've ever asked for. We welcome rideshare, but it has to be on a level playing field. The BC government says it will work with the Vancouver Taxi Association, adding it is worried about the fact the Passenger Transportation Board did not put any caps on fleet sizes. But the ride-sharing industry says that these moves are a positive step forward. All these things that they came up with, they all, they all impact our businesses, no doubt about it. Uh, but for the most part, we're comfortable with them. Back on the road in North Vancouver, Tir Ganajad says his family is worried about the impact of these changes and it's something he isn't sure he can deal with long term. Yeah, I'm going to be retired very soon. Yeah. Richard Zospin, Global News. A damning report from the Ethics Commissioner that found Prime Minister Justin Trudeau broke the rules in the SNC-Lavalin scandal, vindicating Jody Wilson-Raybould does not appear to be having much of an effect on public opinion, if at all. Keith Baldry joins us now from Victoria with the results of a new poll. I know we have to be mindful of polls and, you know, we don't, mm-hmm. don't always feel great about them, but this one uh, has some surprising results. Yeah, well, Ipsos has been our polling partner for a number of years, and they've come through with a lot of accurate polls over time. So I think this one is interesting. I've speculated in the past, I didn't think the Ethics Commissioner's report would really move the needle of public opinion. And sure enough, take a look at the numbers. Ipsos dug out in a poll conducted last week. First of all, basically a dead heat. When you factor in the the margin of error, 3.5%, not much difference between the Conservatives and the Liberals. In fact, momentum may be on the Liberal side instead of the Conservatives. The NDP continues to be mired in third place and the Greens still far back at 9%, up a little bit. Now, on a regional basis, it gets a little more interesting. Again, the margin of error here is significantly higher because it's a smaller sample size, but the Liberals lead the Conservatives by four points in British Columbia. In Ontario, the Conservatives lead the Liberals by three points, and in Quebec, Liberals lead the Conservatives now by an astonishing 19 points. We caught up with Michael College, the president of Ipsos Public Affairs, who makes the point public opinion isn't moving because of SNC-Lavalin. I think what we saw last week was a confirmation of public view. So we saw very little change. The Liberals up two, the Conservatives down two, um, basically all within the margin of error. And what we see now is nationally a, a tie between the Conservatives and Liberals. I, I don't think what we saw, the one week's coverage last week, shifted anything. It confirmed what people saw in the spring and basically hardened their positions, if anything. Keith, do you think the needle would move a little bit if there was, if it turns out there is a criminal investigation here? Oh, I think most assuredly, Chris, if the RCMP get involved here to a much greater degree than they have been simply visiting Jody Wilson-Raybould back in the spring, that will turn public opinion. I think Liberals are rightly nervous about that potentially happening. If they don't, though, I think voters' uh, attitudes and views are going to shift to other issues. Keep in mind also, right now, it's summer. It's the dog days of August. I don't think people are paying a lot of attention to federal politics right now. Mm, but that election is going to come up faster than we know oh, it. Yeah. All right, thanks. Thanks very much, Keith. Right now, though, an emotional roller coaster of a day in hope where hundreds of people who rely on the only wheelchair accessible van in the community thought they'd lost their ride. Someone stole the Hope Care Transit van. And Ted Trenecki now on why it's invaluable to the community and how coverage on Global helped this story have a speedy and successful ending. For anyone, it'd be hard to miss with all the stickers and lettering. It's pretty obvious that this van is especially equipped to transport wheelchair-bound patients. Yet none of us seem to bother a thief who broke in, stealing not only the van, but the liberating experience it so often moved. Somewhere between Saturday night and Monday morning. Where was it? It was parked right outside the office here across the street. 
More than 300 residents use the only wheelchair-equipped public van in Hope. No taxis offer this service. For a senior like Terry, whose husband is wheelchair-bound, this is a very big deal. I don't understand why anybody would even consider stealing something like that, knowing it's in such need. Yes, it's insured, but replacing the van is not simply a matter of going out and buying another one. Those ramps and even winches need to be installed to strict safety standards. Yeah, it has all the ramps and everything, and pulley system for wheelchairs that are motorized and very heavy to move. Hopecare Transit says its service is totally run by volunteers, no public money. So far this year, it's been used more than 100 times, carrying passengers from Boston Bar to UBC and anywhere in between. Many trips are to meet medical specialists where the appointments were made months ago. These things are important. Hearts, uh, livers, cancer, diabetes, you know, it's all inclusive. The positive here is that it shouldn't be that hard to find. And sure enough, only hours later, the sharp eye of a local resident spotted something through the trees off Silver Skagit Road, about four kilometres southwest of Hope. It is what noon news does for you, I guess. Oh, yeah. So we're very thankful for Global... Uh, I don't know why it's dumped out here, but uh, it seems to be a frequented spot, I suppose. The RCMP will keep the van for a few days for fingerprinting before returning it to the owners, who say they'll beef up security, starting with the steering wheel lock at the very least. Tetranahi Global News. Glad they got the wheels back. For sure. A Surrey man feels like he's caught in a life-or-death catch-22 thanks to the health care system. He's been taken off the list for a double lung transplant because he's overweight. But he says he can't exercise to lose weight because he needs the transplant. Nadia Stewart has his story. It's only a short walk to and from the washroom. But by the time Brock Hinchberger makes his way back to the living room, he can barely breathe. This is his quality of life. His wife, Sandra Anderson, says her husband's health has been deteriorating steadily over the last three years. This was Hinchberger in 2014, until one day he came home with chest pains. I had a little pain, and by the time I got here, I could barely get out of the car. Turns out it was a blood clot in his lung. That was the beginning of his decline. Next came the cellulite infection, pneumonia, and by 2016, he was diagnosed with chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, or COPD for short. He only has 23% of his lung function. Their last hope, a double lung transplant. But days ago, when Adamson inquired about the wait time, she got some shocking news. I said he's not on the list and we've closed his file. I said, why? Why was this closed? Why was the file closed? Because he's overweight. His BMI is too high. Adamson says they were never told his file had been closed, so they didn't know they were waiting in vain. They've been following BC Transplant's instructions to lose the weight, including a 1,600-calorie-a-day diet. But there's one key obstacle. He's on BiPAP. We've got him on the diet, but he can't exercise because he doesn't have the lung capacity to exercise. BC Transplant would not speak specifically to Hinchberger's case. In an email, they say a number of factors for transplantation are considered throughout the assessment process, though it's still unclear what factors ultimately disqualified Hinchberger. The list was one of the things that, you know, that we were striving for the whole time. He and his wife hope the file will be reopened. I don't want him to die sitting here on the couch because time is not on their side. Nadia Stork, Global News.
Well, so far, about 50 people from Oppenheimer Park have accepted offers to move into safe and stable accommodation. On Monday, an order was issued to all campers to be out of the park by 6 p.m. tomorrow. The notice in response to ongoing health and safety risks in the park and serious concerns expressed by the Vancouver Police Department. The city says 140 units of housing have been secured by BC Housing and they are immediately available. A number of shelter spaces are also available. Well, it's a great evening to enjoy a stroll at the PNE, day three of the fair, and that's where we find our meteorologist, Christy Gordon. I think it's day three. I've lost track already, Christy. So much to do there. <laughs> That's right. So much to do and so much to eat, Sophie. Tonight, I'm going to try something new at the Peony, and it's a bit spicy. I have Carly. She's Hi. the owner of Chicky Chicken, as well as her nephew, Caleb, here. Thank you for being here. Thank Caleb, you. tell us about this spicy treat that you have. So this is our Flaming Hot Cheeto Dog. It's our family's twist on a classic fair uh, special, like corn dog. Everybody loves corn dogs at the fair. So we decided to put our twist on it this year with um, lathering it in uh, jalapeno cheese with uh, spicy uh, Cheetos rolled in it. And this is award winning, isn't it? it? Is. We won some awards in Calgary and uh, the Calgary Stampede earlier in July. Now we're here and yeah. Right. So this is a family business. You guys have been here since 2011. Yes. You've got other corn dogs that people we can do. also... We have a big pickle dog at Chickie's Chicken, and then we have our footlongs, our jalapeno footlong, and uh, we also have we have a bunch of different trailers. So we have our smoothie trailer, um, our noodle bar. Yeah, French fries. French fries, of yeah. course. Okay, I better try this. Oh, it's yeah. not too... It's no, it's not too mouth. spicy. Okay, no. okay. No. I'll try this out for you guys. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, right that's now. quite yeah. nice. It's just a it is a, a little spicy, yeah, but not bad. No, no, it's good. Yeah, it's just been popular, so right. come and see us. Yeah. Chicken, chicken. All right, guys, back to you. I am very jealous. I want to try that. <laughs> Next time I'm down there, for sure. A child chants to Hong Kong protesters during this past weekend's mass march. The child chanting... Hong Kong people and the protesters reply, cheer up. Not a lot of cheer today as a highly anticipated news conference by the leader of Hong Kong offered little reassurance that the unrest will end anytime soon. And as Global's Jeff Semple reports, the fate of an employee of the British consulate in Hong Kong has raised even more international concerns. The British consulate here in Hong Kong says it is extremely concerned by reports that one of its employees is now being detained in mainland China. The 28-year-old hasn't been seen in about 10 days, and his girlfriend says she last heard from him in a text message she received while he was traveling back from mainland China towards the border in Hong Kong. That text message read, please pray for me. Police here in Hong Kong confirmed they are investigating the missing person's case, but so far, Beijing has not commented on those allegations. One person we did hear from today, though, was the Beijing-backed leader of Hong Kong. She held her first press conference since that massive peaceful rally on Sunday. We will start immediately a platform uh, for dialogue with people from all walks of life. So um, this is something that we want to do uh, in a very sincere and humble manner. 
Carrie Lam says she is open to dialogue with the movement's leaders, but for their part, the protesters say they're not interested in talking, they simply want their demands met. Most importantly, the formal withdrawal of that controversial extradition bill. And until that happens, they say, the demonstrations here will continue with another one scheduled for tomorrow. Jeff Semple, Global News, Hong Kong. Caught on video, a close call for spectators at a figure-eight school bus race in Indiana. After a collision, one bus loses control and slams into a fence, stopping just a few inches short of spectators. No one was seriously hurt, but some people were splashed with hot engine oil. No one, though, was taken to hospital. In Health Matters tonight, a warning from the U.S. Department of Agriculture about how we prepare chicken for cooking. In short, don't wash it. The USDA says stop washing poultry before cooking. Researchers found when people rinsed raw chicken and then prepared a salad, 26% transferred bacteria from the chicken to the lettuce. Even if they cleaned in between, 14% still cross-contaminated. Black lights show how far bacteria can travel. How many times are you peeling a vegetable, you drop it in the sink, and you just pick it up and go on, and so at that point you've cross-contaminated your vegetables. The USDA says that you should prepare food that won't be cooked before handling raw meat. Thoroughly clean and sanitize any surfaces that might have been contaminated and never rinse raw meat. Duly noted. Some marine-based sleuthing by Simon Fraser University has made a troubling discovery about Canada's second largest salmon watershed right here in B.C. Scientists used modern technology to study salmon scales from Skeena River sockeye salmon that had been in storage for more than a century and were only recently rediscovered. Linda Aylesworth tells us what they found. The Skeena River, which flows 570 kilometers through northwestern BC, is beautiful, remote, and an invaluable part of BC's ecology. It is the second largest salmon producing system in Canada, um, really seen as a stronghold for salmon in the future. Like in most BC rivers these days, those salmon are struggling. But just how much has been difficult to assess? Our data for them go back only so far as 1960. And the commercial fishery on the Skeena River began in 1877. So researchers had no idea what historically healthy populations were. Data was collected around the turn of the century, but no one seemed to know what became of it until recently. Colleagues uh, really rediscovered this biological treasure chest, uh, which was a collection of scales that began in 1912. And continued until 1948. Using modern-day genetic analysis, conservation scientists used those scales from sockeye salmon to paint a picture of the past, then compared it to the present. Their findings... Just looking at 
the number of wild fish coming back to the Skeena. We noted a 75% decline in the number of wild sockeye salmon. That's the average of all 13 populations of sockeye in the Skeena, but each population suffers differently. In the Babine tributary, nearly 1.3 million wild sockeye returned 100 years ago. Today, just 364,000, a 56% decline. And on the Motassi, only 590 fish recently returned, a 90 percent decline. There are many things we can do to help them out and I feel this study provides that urgency to take further action um, to help protect these dogs. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. After the forecast, how the wife of Israel's Prime Minister sparked a social media firestorm with a piece of bread. All right, let's head back down to the PNE where Christy Gordon is sampling all the treats there and, of course, has the weather forecast for us. Christy? That's right. Perfect day at the fair, in my opinion. A little bit of cloud cover just to keep that temperature down a little bit. I'm right in front of the Peony Prize Home. This is a good one. If you have a dog, especially, there's some neat treats for dogs inside this home. It'll be repositioned to Kirstner Mountain. Also, right beside it is the Global Tent. You can get your photo taken in front of uh, the um, anchor desk, just like Chris and Sophie. All right, let's talk about this weather forecast. It's going to change tonight while you're asleep. Yes, waking up to periods of rain across the region, and we'll see uh, 17 degrees in the morning only warming up to about 20 degrees in the afternoon but tomorrow is not a bad day to head down to the peony there's always less traffic down here on a day like this and it should be drying out slowly as we head throughout the day to just a slight chance of showers it's all because of the system that's targeting the north coast right now there are rainfall warnings for inland sections there for our region majority of the rain will push in through the morning hours not consistent rain but periods of rain on and off easing off to that chance of showers as the band pushes inland by the afternoon hours. Staying mainly cloudy though for the lower mainland. Thursday though, we're back to sunshine mainly across all of the province. So there's a rainfall across the north by the afternoon, a chance of showers from Prince George right down through the south. That's mainly in the afternoon. Not a bad day for you, although you'll start to see more cloud later in the day. But south coast will certainly see the rain on and off up to Whistler as well, easing to just a chance of showers. A bit of back and forth over the next couple of days. Some sunshine Thursday, slight chance of showers Friday and that's the same case through the weekend. So there certainly are some dry patches in there to head down to the Peony, but I always say the trick is to come down on a day when it's a little bit off weather-wise because that's when you'll get far less crowds. Back to you guys. Good strategy. Thank you, Christy. Sure is. All right, on the topic of food, Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu made the unusual decision to post on Facebook today trying to put out a social media firestorm over his wife's actions. Oh. When Netanyahu and his wife Sarah arrived in Ukraine for an official visit, they were presented with ceremonial bread. Netanyahu ate a piece, but when he passed a piece to his wife, well, she looked at it and then dropped it on the ground. Ukrainians see bread as an important symbol of life, and social media exploded with outrage over the incident. In a post on Facebook, Netanyahu made light of the controversy, but insisted his wife had no intention of disrespecting Ukrainian traditions. Like he only gave her a little crumb. It's just a little crumb, and she's like, this isn't satisfactory. I need a bigger piece. I want a whole loaf. Maybe whole she loaf. thought he didn't wash his hands or something. Huh? Also yeah, a good point. Mm-hmm. Squire's here now. 
Okay, so it's P&E time again, mm -hmm. and uh, one of the things that we always see at the P&E, I think back to the first P&E, you would have seen this. I'm not talking about mini donuts. They probably weren't at the first P&E, <laughs> but farm animals were at sure. the first P&E, and they're at, of course, this year's P&E. Despite all these relatively modern attractions, one of the exhibits at the P&E that never loses its popularity is the simple joy of staring at baby farm animals. And if you're wondering, the pigs are the most popular. They will stand here, sometimes it's two, three people deep around the entire pen, and they will come back continuously to see what the pigs are doing. Why do they do this? Because apparently watching pigs is like watching a reality show. It's like the big rowdy family that you just can't stop watching because they're dysfunctional. You can totally see that they just they interact so interestingly. So bottom line, no pigs and piglets, no show. I honestly, I, could, I couldn't do a show without them. I definitely could not open up these barns without this exhibit here. Next in the pecking order are these guys. These guys will actually switch out multiple times throughout the fair. So we have the eggs brought in every couple days and they incubate here in the incubator. They take about 21 days to incubate. I love the fact that the other ones are looking in the incubator. Yeah at their brothers and sisters being born. I'm of the opinion that if all chickens looked like this, we would never eat them. They very quickly become not so cute. Really, how really. fast? Um, within, I'm gonna say probably five or six days. And cute can come in different forms. She was a past 4-H cow, so she's super sweet and lovable, and I've been told that she even gives hugs, although I have not tested that out. Well, we decided to test it, and she does give hugs. It's all part of demystifying farm life. So the goal of the Peony is really to showcase authentic agriculture. So bringing, bringing this, the uh, country into the city and giving people an opportunity to have once in a lifetime first interactions with what goes on on a farm. See, so country mouse meets city mouse or country meets... Country check meets city Something like that, yeah. <laughs> well, I'll use myself. <laughs> Jim Benning's got a new deal. Squire's here with the details of the job jar that awaits him. The what? It's a job jar. Oh, okay. I thought there was that thing from Star Wars. That's Jar Jar. Oh, that's Jar Jar Binks. Uh, the uh, Canucks made it official today that Jim Benning has a new three-year contract. And as we said last Friday, when we first heard about it, once Benning went through the draft and free agency, there is no way the Canucks can let him go to the final year of his deal without any future security. If you're that unsure of your GM, you can change him, or you, I should say, you have to change him before the final year of his deal. Don't make him audition for it and still allow the guy to make player moves while doing it. So what did get Benning his new contract? Well, it was his drafting. Getting Brock Besser, Elias Pettersson, and Quinn Hughes was enough to convince the Aquilinis that he should stay on the job. You know, I, the ownership, I think, is happy. Um, you know, with the direction of the team. From when I started, you know, we've had to draft, you know, players, and I think we've drafted well. We got some some good players now that are going to be, you know, cornerstones, core players for our group for the next 10 years. Here's Vancouver's Brock Besser. Now that Jim Benning has a new three-year contract extension, it's time to get one of those cornerstone pieces Brock Besser signed. Contract talks continue with Besser's agent on what could either be a short three-year deal or possibly a longer-term contract stretching upwards of six years. 
The Canucks would like that to come in around six million per season. Besser's camp thinking more like seven million. We're continuing. I'm continuing to talk with Ben Hankinson. Um, we're trying to get to some common ground. Like none of the RFAs have signed yet. Uh, so I'm going to continue to work with them, and I'm hopeful that we can get something done here before camp so he's there at the start of camp. When you look at the Canucks roster, there's no question they'll be better this season, but will they be playoff material? Benning believes his team is capable of taking it to the next level, led by young core pieces Elias Pettersson, Brock Besser, Bo Horvat, and Quinn Hughes, three of the four being key draft picks selected by Jim Benning. I think, you know, last year, the first 60 games, we were competitive. The last 20 games, we kind of fell off. We didn't have the depth and we got injuries and stuff. And, you know, we ended up not making the playoffs. And I think, you know, we've addressed some of those needs in signing what we think are two top six forwards to help out with PD and Bess and with Pearson and Bo and, and shoring up our defense. So, you know, it's, it's going to be, again, it's going to be the continued growth of our young players. Um, you know, they have to come in here to having Quinn Hughes for a full year is going to be exciting, I think, this year. And, you know, with Brock and, and Bo and Petey and, you know, them continuing to get better. And, and with the support of, you know, some, some older experienced guys, like, I'm excited. When they do sign Brock Besser, whether it's for $7 million or a bit less, other players on the Canucks are going to have to go to get this team underneath the salary cap. If that means sending big money players to the minors' ownership, according to Jim Benning, is on board with it. This will make training camp in the preseason much more interesting because instead of just kids who make very little getting sent down, veterans who make seven figures better impress or they'll be sent out of the Canucks as well for salary cap relief. We got different options. We're looking at all of our options, but a lot's going to depend on training camp. Like we, there's, we're going to have a competitive camp this year. There's going to be competitions for jobs and ice time. So I know Travis is excited about it and having different options, and we're going to try out different guys and see see how it works. All right. The Lions are still saying that owner David Braley is still wanting to sell the team to owners who have the wherewithal to be in charge of it for a long time. And some have been spoken to, and quite frankly, I have to say, David Braley has talked about selling this team for a few years now. And the indication of those who have been interested in buying it is that the price is always too high. And the other thing we've heard is no matter how much David Braley says he wants to sell, to potential buyers, those potential buyers in the past have gotten the impression he really is not as keen to sell the Lions as he says he is. All right, Victoria Junior Samrocks last night made the Minto Cup final by winning 12-8 in overtime against Okotoks. It's a goal by Patrick Dodds right there. Austin Mandernich had two goals and three assists. Victoria now goes against Orangeville in a best of five, which starts Wednesday at the Langley Event Center. Victoria hasn't won the Mental Cup since 88. If the Philadelphia Eagles, or any NFL team for that matter, need a field goal kicker, I'm quite sure they could call U.S. soccer star Carly Lloyd because at Philadelphia Eagles training camp, she showed up just to visit and accepted the challenge of kicking a field goal. They set it up at the 45-yard line. And with the goal post in the NFL pushed back 10 yards, always add 10 from where it's kicked. So Carly was trying to make a 55-yard field goal. Here she goes. Snap it. 
She doesn't have all day. And she made 40 at the Cowboys camp a couple of years ago. This is good. Nice. From 55. Wow. Right down the middle. There you go. Pretty good. Thanks, Squire. It takes a lot to steal the show from the world's fastest rapper. I am not speaking from experience. But Amber Galloway Gallego did just that. A clip of her performance alongside rapper Twista is going viral for her lightning fast hands. On stage at a concert, a monumental moment as the world's fastest rapper Twista is blown away by a sign language interpreter's rapid fire hands. It's not the first time Amber Galloway Gallego has stolen a show. From Kendrick Lamar, Lady Gaga, even Disney's The Little Mermaid. I want to be where the people are. Her hand's fluent in any musical genre. I feel music is all about connection. For the hearing impaired, her interpretations have brought life to an experience they now can share. It gives me the opportunity to be able to feel as an equal as the audience. For Amber, this is about bringing harmony between the worlds of sight and sound. I will feel that my mission is complete when I don't receive emails daily or weekly of asking for help for me to call venues to fight for access so they can go and enjoy their favorite artist. Proving even alongside the world's fastest rapper, sign language, hand in hand, with lyrics and soul. Patty Schwartz, NBC News, Los Angeles. Mr. Tongue Twista, how fast is the fastest rapper, Twista? 280 words per minute on average, 280 words per minute. I don't even know what he was saying. It's crazy. How did she know what he was saying? Yeah, that's, that's the thing. Huh? Yeah. That's impressive. We'll keep it nice and slow for you here. Have a great night, everybody. <laughs>